A special thanks to the folks at Anchor.fm for sponsoring this podcast. Coming to you almost live from our studios in New York, this is Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from articles, social media, past audiobooks, and other spoken word projects. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And thank you once again, Mr. Announcer, for that lovely introduction. Tom Zania here with you with Tom Reads Your Story. Thanks for stopping by. I am glad you're here. Today, what we have is the timeline from Trump's speech to his uh, cult following, supporters, whatever, until after the terrorist attack on the Capitol. And I'll be right back after this. Jeff Corey was a great Hollywood character man who became blacklisted in 1951. In the book Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act, Corey recounts his extraordinary story. Among the actors who would soon fill his classes were James Dean, Kirk Douglas, Jane Fonda, Rob Reiner, Jack Nicholson, and Leonard Nimoy. In 1962, when the blacklist ended, Corey was one of the industry's first trailblazers to seamlessly reboot his acting career and secure roles in some of the classic films of the era, including Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, True Grit, and Little Big Man, in which he starred as the infamous Wild Bill Hickok. His memoir, which he wrote with his daughter Emily Corey, provides a unique and personal perspective on the man whose teaching inspired some of Hollywood's biggest names to star in the roles that made them famous. Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act, written by Jeff Corey with Emily Corey. Listen to this incredible book by visiting audible.com. And we are back. So, last week, when I was talking about, um, well, there was a song back in the 60s, and I'll make this as quick as possible. There was a song back in the 60s called In the Year 2525. I wanted to to correlate the fact that we're into a new year now. And, um, but not 2525. Uh, so, uh, while I was talking in the beginning, I mentioned that as I spoke, the Capitol was being invaded, was being terrorized. They broke in, of course, during the early afternoon and trashed the place. Several people were killed, um, they did damage to a lot of the uh, very old artifacts. A lot of repairs going to have to be done. A lot of broken windows. Uh, the typical things that thugs like Trump supporters would do. And now uh, we are into a Senate, uh, into a, a debate in the Congress 
um, about whether or not to uh, to um, impeach Donald Trump, as you all know, and um, that vote is is about to happen. They're uh, making small speeches right now, and they will be uh, voting uh, concurrently. So, uh, regardless of what you think should happen, that is what's happening. And uh, we have been doing a lot of thinking lately. And we have... Um, we have some some things that I want I wanted to read, some uh, a good article about um, uh, about the event, the big capital invasion event that happened last week to this day. And I also want to read something that was written by a very good uh, friend and castmate from a show that I did back in 2001. And this is, of course, what he posted in Facebook several days ago uh, that inspired me to ask him if I could read it to my podcast audience, which is what I'm going to be playing today. And this is a gentleman, his uh, first name is Daniel. And... Uh, He's had some challenges in his life, and you will hear uh, what I recorded a little bit later. First of all, uh, you know, obviously there there are many articles that come out whenever a big national event happens, um, and I wanted to pick one that uh, I felt encapsulated everything uh, quite well. Um, we all know what happened and, uh, several people were killed and there was a lot of terrorized people in that building, uh, who were hiding. So the first thing that happened was a phone call, uh, from President Trump to, um, uh, to the governor of Georgia, Raffensperger, um, basically telling him to break the law and give him something close to 12,000 votes. And he kept saying uh, over and over, you know, I won this whole thing and I won this and I did that and, and uh, you're not treating me well and the people are all angry about this and using every speech tactic he could muster to get uh, get this gentleman, uh, even in front of lawyers who were in the room, to give him what he wanted. Mr. President, everybody is on the line. And just so this mm -hmm. is Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, just so we all are aware. Great. Um, uh, on the line is Secretary of State. Uh, and uh, two other individuals. Uh, you, need, you need all these people in the room Germany, so this guy can uh, shake him. you down. You also have uh, the attorneys that represent uh, the president, uh, Kurt and Alex, 
and Cleta Mitchell, uh, who is not. Hopefully, the they were writing down all the illegal statements he was making. And then uh, the president. So, Mr. President, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, thank you very much. Hello, Brad and Ryan and everybody. We appreciate the time and the call. Um, so we've spent a lot of time on this. And oh, we know that. Uh, if we could just go over some of the numbers, I think it's pretty clear that we won. No. We won very substantially. No, you didn't. Georgia. You lost very substantially. Uh, you even see it by rally size, frankly. We'd be getting 25,000, 30,000 people a rally. And, oh, boy. Uh, the competition would get less than 100 people, and it never made sense. Yeah, you never make sense. We have a number of things. We have at least two or three, anywhere from 250 to 300,000 ballots were dropped mysteriously into the rolls. Yeah, mysteriously. Much of that had to Can do we see video of that happening? County, uh, which has Some actual checked. evidence? We think that if you check the signatures, a real check of the signatures going back in Fulton County, you'll find at least a couple of hundred thousand of uh, forged signatures oh. of uh, people with uh, a couple hundred thousand forged, forged signatures uh, and uh, we are how would he know that he wouldn't know that another uh, another tremendous number we're going to have an ac accurate number over the next two days with certified accountants uh, but an accurate number uh, will be given but it's it's uh, in the 50s of thousands uh, <laughs> and that's people Christ. that went to vote and they were told they can't vote because they've already been voted for. Uh, oh. And uh, it's a very sad thing. Oh, they you poor guy. Complaining, but they, the, the number is large. We'll have it for you, but it's, very, it's much more than the uh, number of 11,779. That's the, the current margin is only 11,779. Uh, Brad, I think, I think you agree with that, right? No. That's, that's something I think everyone agrees. At least that's the number that everyone agrees on. No. But uh, that's the difference uh, in the votes. We're told they couldn't vote because a ballot had been put in on their name. And, uh, you know, that's... Uh, Wh why was that never on the news? Dead. We never heard we that. Had, um, I believe it's about uh, 4,502 voters who voted, uh, but who weren't on the voter registration list. Uh, so that I don't 5, believe. 4,502 who voted, but they were not on the voter registration roll, which they had to be. Oh, for uh, Christ's sake. You had 18,325 vacant address voters. They had no, the address was vacant. Right. Uh, and and of course, the people working That's 18, at the voting precinct wouldn't have found that out. Uh, only you're smart enough you to know that. who uh, only voted uh, where they had just a PO, a post office box number. And uh, they had a post office box number, and that's not allowed. Oh. We had uh, at least 18,000 that's on tape. We had them counted very painstakingly. 18,000 voters uh, having to do with uh, Ruby Friedman. That's, uh, she's a vote scammer, uh -huh. a professional vote scammer, oh. hustler, Ruby <laughs> Freeman. Uh, that is... Uh, that was the tape that's been shown all over the world that makes everybody look bad, uh, you, me, and everybody else, where they got, uh, number one, they, they, said, they said very clearly, and, and uh, it's re been reported that they said there was a major water main break. Everybody fled the I didn't hear area. about any of this, and I and apologize. Ruby Friedman, her daughter, and a few I don't know who this person is uh, that he's referring no to. There were no Republican poll watchers. Actually, there were no Democrat poll watchers. I guess they were them. 
but there were no Democrats either, and there was no law enforcement. Yeah, of course. Uh, late in the morning, they went. It's, early it's in the morning, they went to, uh, to the table it? with the black robe, the black uh, shield, and they pulled out the votes. Those votes were put there a number of hours before the table was put there. I think it was. Brad, you would know it was probably uh, eight hours or seven hours before, and then it was stuffed with uh, votes. They weren't in an official uh, voter box. They were in. You know, maybe this is the kind of job uh, that Trump should have. Someone who sits at the voting place and uh, and makes sure that the right people are. Uh, The minimum number it pays eight bucks an hour, I think. They they watched it certified uh, in slow motion. Instant replay, if you can believe it, but it had slow motion and it was magnified many times over. And the minimum it was was eighteen thousand ballots, all for Biden. Yeah, see, that's um, how it works. It's a democracy. Out of state voters, uh. Uh, they voted in uh, Georgia, but they were from out of state. Of four thousand. How do you know that? And twenty-five. Uh, How do you know they're from out of state, Mr. President? To, uh, Did you steal vacant, those ballots? They were absentee ballots sent to vacant addresses. Uh, they had nothing on them about addresses. That's 2,326. Um, and you had drop boxes, uh, which was very bad. You had drop box boxes that were picked up. We have uh, uh, photographs and we have uh, affidavits from many people. I, I don't know great. if you saw the hearings, but... But you have drop boxes where the box was picked up and not delivered for three days. So all Isn't it amazing how much work box. this guy has done? This guy has done you know, more work so there are many in these and the past weeks many, many times the than he does in, in, that he's done in four years for the people. And, of course, that was... A bit of the Trump phone call, uh, rather harassing phone call, if you really listen to it, to some, to Brad Raffensperger and of course some lawyers and other people in the room with my comment um, <laughs> going through it. I didn't play the whole thing, uh, but uh, what I want to play for you now is a very good article from Politico in regards to the attack on the Capitol. Here it is. Yes, it was a coup attempt. Here's why. By Fiona Hill, Politico, January 11th, 2021. Since last Wednesday, people have been arguing what to call what happened at the U.S. Capitol. Was it a riot? An uprising? An insurrection? I've been public in calling it a coup, but others disagree. Some have said it's not a coup because the U.S. military and other armed groups weren't involved, and some because Donald Trump didn't invoke his presidential powers in support of the mob that broke into the Capitol. Others point out that no one has claimed or proved there was a secret plan directed by the president, and that Trump's efforts to overturn the outcome of the 2020 presidential election could never have succeeded in the first place. These observations are based on the idea that a coup is a sudden, violent seizure of power involving clandestine plots and military takeovers. By contrast, Trump's goal was to keep himself in power 
and his actions were taken over a period of months and in slow motion. But that doesn't mean it wasn't a coup attempt. Trump disguised what he was doing by operating in plain sight, talking openly about his intent. He normalized his actions so people would accept them. I've been studying authoritarian regimes for three decades, and I know the signs of a coup when I see them. Technically, what Trump attempted is what's known as a self-coup, and Trump isn't the first leader to try it. Charles Louis Napoleon Bonaparte, nephew of the first Napoleon, pulled one off in France in December 1851 to stay in power beyond his term. Then he declared himself Emperor Napoleon III. More recently, Nicolas Maduro perpetrated a self-coup in Venezuela after losing the 2017 elections. The storming of the Capitol building on January 6th was the culmination of a series of actions and events taken or instigated by Trump so he could retain the presidency that together amount to an attempt at a self-coup. This was not a one-off or brief episode. Trump declared election fraud immediately on November 4th, even while the votes were still being counted. He sought to recount and rerun the election so that he, not Joe Biden, was the winner. In Turkey in 2015, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan successfully did the same thing. He had called elections to strengthen his presidency, but his party lost its majority in the parliament. He challenged the results in the courts, marginalized the opposition, and forced what he blatantly called a rerun election. He tried again in the Istanbul mayor election in 2019, but was thwarted. There's a standard coup checklist analysts use to evaluate coups, and we can use it to assess Trump's moves to prevent the peaceful transfer of executive power. To successfully usurp or hold power, you need to control the military and paramilitary units. Communications, the judiciary, government institutions, and the legislature, and mobilize popular support. Let's see how well this applies to what Trump has done. The military. During the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests, Trump drew Joint Chiefs Chair General Mark Milley and Defense Secretary Mark Esper out of a White House meeting to follow him for a provocative photo op in front of a historic church. Paramilitary forces under the president's command cleared a passage for his group across Lafayette Square. Trump was testing the military and the Pentagon to see if he could turn the U.S. armed forces into his own Praetorian Guard. The blowback from this episode emphasized the non-political position of the U.S. military. But there was a sufficient lingering concern that just days before January 6, ten former defense secretaries, including Esper, who had been forced out of his office for insufficient loyalty, felt compelled to issue an unprecedented public letter reminding Defense Department officials of their oath to uphold the Constitution. Communications In the old days, coup plotters would seize the Central Telegraph, or Post Office, and later, radio and TV towers. Trump put a loyalist in charge of the Post Office. He did not take TV and radio by storm, but he discredited the mainstream media 
that was critical of his actions as the enemy of the people, and recruited or pressured Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, and social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook into participants in his efforts to sway public opinion in his favor. Twitter, in essence, was Trump's equivalent of the TV and radio tower. He directed and messaged the 88 million people who followed his account. He used social media and cable news to propagate false self-serving narratives, reinforce messages to provide justification for his actions, and mobilize his supporters. The Judiciary With the help of Republican lawmakers, Trump stacked federal courts with what he kept calling his judges. He successfully pushed through the appointments of three new Supreme Court justices ahead of the presidential election. He made his expectation clear that if the Supreme Court had to settle an election dispute, then his justices would tilt the verdict in his favor. Erdogan did the same in Turkey. Trump frequently called for investigations into his opponents and for courts and law enforcement to lock them all up. Government Institutions As in Turkey, Trump purged cabinet members and career officials who resisted him. He bypassed Congress and installed acting officials in crucial national security positions like the Secretaries of Defense and Homeland Security and, briefly, the Director of National Intelligence. He made it crystal clear that personal loyalty was the primary factor for candidate selection. He removed Esper after he lost the election. Attorney General William Barr resigned in the same period, amid rumors he would be sacked for failing to declare massive election fraud. Trump wanted officials in place in January 2021 who were entirely beholden to him and likely to support his efforts to stay in power. The Legislature Finally, Trump usurped the Republican Party. He claimed the more than 74 million who voted for him last November as his personal base, his popular support. He threatened to destroy the careers of Republican members of Congress who did not favor overturning the election result. At the January 6 rally preceding the storming of the Capitol, Donald Trump Jr. even referred to the GOP as the Trump Republican Party. In the end, even after the Capitol was seized by Trump's violent mob, 147 Republican members of Congress, led by Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, did endorse some of Trump's efforts to challenge the election results and overturn the constitutional order. So did Senators Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, and six other politically ambitious senators who wanted to tap into Trump's popular support. In this way, Trump's control of the legislature and a significant popular mandate was almost within his reach. The truth is that for the past four years, Trump has been stress-testing the U.S. democratic system to see if anyone will rein him in. Consider how many times he stated that he deserved two or even three terms in office because he was treated unfairly or cheated out of the first two years of his presidency by the Russia hoax, the Mueller investigation, and last year's impeachment trial. Throughout 2020, when his poll ratings faltered, the president laid the groundwork for what would become the big lie that he won the election. He said in advance that the ballot was rigged 
and that he could lose only if they stole the election. They was a domestic enemy that he manufactured in broad strokes for his grassroots base to rise up against. Democrats, liberals, globalists, radical socialists, communists, Antifa leftists, the Black Lives Matter movement, the mainstream media, George Soros, various other boogeymen and women, deep state bureaucrats, and even congressional Republicans whom he labeled rhinos, Republicans in name only, and never Trumpers. After the election was declared in favor of Biden, Trump refused to concede. He never stopped lying about the outcome to his base and the rest of America. He harangued state election officials in phone calls and in person to intimidate them into repudiating or even changing the vote tallies. He told Vice President Mike Pence to block the formal election certification process in Congress, which was beyond his constitutional authority. When Pence, when Pence refused, Trump rallied thousands of his supporters to stop the steal on Capitol Hill. So what thwarted Trump's slow-motion, in-plain-sight attempt at a self-coup? Fortunately, there was pushback from all the key institutions you need for a coup. First, the military and other parts of the government resisted Trump's efforts to personalize their power. Second, major media outlets reported the facts truthfully. Social media outlets flagged the president's lies about the election, albeit belatedly, and Twitter and Facebook ultimately cut off his accounts. Third, the judiciary and courts held firm. Trump judges, all the way up to the Supreme Court, respected their oath of office and rejected the president's appeals to overturn legitimate election results. Fourth, state and local government officials refused to be swayed. They repeatedly called out the lie that Trump had won the election. Finally, in the legislature, the vice president performed his constitutional role, as did the Republican Senate Majority Leader and most of the Senate. The only two elements that rallied behind the president's coup attempt were the handful of senators and the majority of House Republicans and his popular support, in the form of an insurgency, the mob, that stormed the Capitol. The good news for the United States is that Trump's self-coup failed. The bad news is that his supporters still believe the false narrative, the big lie that he won the election. Trump has not repudiated it, nor have the House and Senate Republicans who voted against the Electoral College results. Millions of people still think the election was stolen. They still support Trump the person not the Republican Party, and many are prepared to take further action on his behalf. As in the case of other coup attempts, the president's action have put us on the brink of civil war. Trump did not overturn the election results, but just as he intended, he disrupted the peaceful democratic transition of executive power. Unless the big lie is thoroughly refuted, we can expect more attempts to subvert the constitutional order from Trump's supporters, and we still have to get through the January 20 inauguration. The president's actions and his falsehoods have shattered America's democratic norms, exacerbated its political divisions, and put people's lives at risk. Five people died during the events surrounding the storming of the Capitol, including a member of the U.S. Capitol Police Force, 
Many of the members of Congress who backed Trump's efforts were themselves at risk of injury or death. If we are to restore democratic norms and make sure this does not happen again, these congressional Republicans will have to take personal responsibility for their actions in support of Trump's coup attempt. They must tell the truth to their constituents about the election and what the president tried to do in January of 2021. They owe it to the people they represent as well as the country they serve. And I hope you enjoyed that. Next up, I want to play a bit of, well, actually an entire posting that was on Facebook the other day of a friend of mine, a castmate from a tour of a show that I did uh, back in 2001. And it's, it's just kind of very reflecting of the way many people are feeling right now and started feeling after the Capitol was attacked. Um, this is someone who has had some challenges in his life, um, but a good friend and, uh, and very inquisitive and asked some very good questions here. Here it is. Please read with my voice in mind, being 100% sincere. All of this is unbelievable to me. Oh, real quick, I didn't post anything political this entire election season, so deal with it. This will be my last post about any of this bullshit because I'm basically close to giving up. This is no longer about Republicans and Democrats. It's about common sense and decency. What the hell is going on with so many Trump supporters? How in the world can you still support this man? With all the recordings and videos and hard evidence, not to mention the last four years, the people I've known, in some cases my whole life, are still hardcore about Donald Trump. Some of these people I've always looked up to and made decisions in my life based on if they would approve or not. And here they are, backing this terrible human being up who is everything I was taught not to be and does everything I was taught not to do, not to mention his actions against gays. This is why so many of us are outraged. It doesn't make sense to us. We are so confused on who y'all are because you're not who we thought you were, or at least the person you are trying to portray. The only thing I can come up with is that you feel pressured to vote for him out of fear of backlash. I know all about being and thinking differently in a part of the country where everyone thinks the same. Everyone looks the same and everyone votes Republican and anything or anyone that's different is weird. You may say differently, but come on. I also know it takes courage to be yourself and break away from the norm, something I was blessed with and, unfortunately, not many have. But maybe I'm wrong, and this is in no way an attack, but this is the only reasoning I can come up with. It's what I have to believe, because many of the friends and family that have totally confused me, I always thought had integrity. It's either that, or he was voted for to protect your own money, which is clearly unconscionable in my opinion. I am 
so confused and am flabbergasted when I see people post that they are proud of their president, especially now. What? My God, people. Really? I challenge you to open your minds and hearts and to maybe move away from the place you've lived in your whole life or somewhere different. There's a whole world out there. I also challenge you to do a complete and honest self-analysis of yourself. One good thing about being an addict in recovery is that I've done a tremendous amount of soul-searching and self-analyzing and asking myself, how do others perceive me? And am I happy with that? I'm fortunate in that way. Ironic, yes? Different is beautiful. I find it sad when I come across adults who have never changed, never grown, and never truly found themselves. There are a lot. I'm pretty sure this post will make zero difference, and I'll probably become an outcast because of it, but I'm okay with that. I'm proud of who I have become, and that would have never been possible if I hadn't been brave enough to think for myself and break away. And hey, maybe I'm wrong. But again, it's the only thing I can come up with that makes me feel a little better. Other than that, there is something wrong with you on a serious level, and I don't want to think that. I wrestled with the choice of posting this or not, but I just had to, guys. I really hate to say it, but I look at y'all differently now, and with a bit less respect than I once had. For those of you Republicans who have finally said enough is enough, good for you. And for those of you who have the actual courage to say so, way to go. The silence from so many, however, speaks volumes. I'm sure I'll get many replies trying to state your reasoning throwing unrelated bullshit at me, some with childish comments like likewise, and that's okay. I am simply trying to help you all see why so many people, basically the entire rest of the world, are confused, hurt, dumbfounded, and outraged. And that should do it for this episode. If you enjoyed your visit today, please tell your friends. Be sure to email me at tomreadyourstory at yahoo.com or call 929-260-1952 if you have questions or comments about the show. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the chance to have an ongoing podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Till next time, stay safe and take care. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, audiobook, or video project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tom Reads Your Story.